Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A bloody scalp was dumped in a bag on the side of the road in Pennsylvania, but investigators quickly reached a dead end on the case. For five years, Dover police knew that somebody had been scalped and murdered. They just didn't know who. This is Monsters. In January of 2012, a man was walking down Conewago Road in Dover Township, Pennsylvania when he noticed a small bag of trash on the sidewalk. As he walked closer, he saw that the contents of the sealed, transparent food saver bag seemed to be stained with blood. A food saver bag is what you would use in a food saver brand vacuum sealer. A human scalp had been stuffed into the bag and abandoned, alongside a blood-stained bedsheet. The scalp still had hair attached, which had been left tied into a pigtail. Forensic analysis of the scalp verified that it was human, and although there was no way to tell whether the victim had been alive or dead at the time the scalp was removed, pathologists agreed that removing the scalp from a living victim in that way would have quickly become fatal due to blood loss and bone infection. Investigators took samples from the scalp and ran it against the DNA profiles they had on record, but there was no match. No witnesses had seen anybody leaving the bag on the side of the road, and there was no additional evidence found at that location. It was a frustrating case. The scalp alone was proof that a gruesome murder had taken place, but without any further clues, investigators were completely stumped, and for the next five years, the case remained at a standstill. On January 21st, 2017, almost exactly five years to the day after the scalp was discovered, a Pennsylvania police station received a phone call from a woman in Louisiana. Her name was Kim Vaya, and she told them that she was calling out of concern for her father, Thomas Hayden. Kim and her father had become estranged, and she hadn't seen him or communicated with him in any way since 2011. During that period of time, she had tried to reach out to Thomas over the phone, but he never answered. Instead, Kim's stepmother, Virginia Hayden, was always the one to pick up the phone. Every time, Virginia would tell Kim that Thomas didn't want to talk to her before hanging up. Kim was able to provide police with the address where she thought that Thomas and Virginia were living. It was an apartment in Carlisle Township, Pennsylvania. 
The woman who opened the door identified herself as Virginia Cooksey and told the officers that Virginia Hayden was her grandmother. She said that she knew her grandmother had lived in the apartment for a period of time, but insisted that Thomas Hayden had never stayed there. With that information, the police were able to track down Virginia Hayden herself, but there was still no sign of her husband Thomas. Virginia said that, just like Kim, she hadn't seen Thomas since 2011. He had reportedly left home after being diagnosed with motor neuron disease because he wanted to seek out more effective medical treatment in Mexico. Since Thomas left for Mexico, Virginia had only heard from him once, several years ago, when he contacted her via telephone. She was unable to call him back because he had called her from a blocked number. Virginia didn't seem especially concerned by the fact that she hadn't seen her husband in six years, and during that initial interview, her story was inconsistent enough to make the officers suspicious. She also revealed that Thomas was still receiving regular payments from Social Security, which had all been deposited into a bank account that she and Thomas shared. Immediately after speaking to Virginia, the officers set off to a third location, the last known address where Thomas had lived. It was a townhouse in Dover Township, and since Thomas and Virginia had lived there, it had been sold. The new owner of the house came to the door and shared what he remembered from when they bought the property in 2014. According to the home's new owner, he had only ever met Virginia and had never seen or heard from Thomas. In fact, he remembered Virginia telling him that she had lived in the house with her husband, but that he had passed away. Further interviews with Thomas and Virginia's neighbors all came to the same conclusion. Five years ago, Thomas Hayden had just up and disappeared. One next-door neighbor remembered noticing that Thomas was nowhere to be seen. When she asked Virginia where her husband had gone, Virginia explained that Thomas had suddenly died when he was in Mexico undergoing medical treatment. That same neighbor also told police that she'd noticed Virginia extending the house's patio by having a large slab of concrete poured in the yard. The neighbor and her son-in-law had even supposedly joked that Virginia might have buried Thomas under the concrete. The police brought in cadaver dogs to search the yard, but the dogs didn't indicate the presence of any human remains. Every step in the investigation revealed new information about Virginia, but it didn't provide any clarity about where Thomas had been for the past six years. The police located the deed for the house, which showed that in late 2013, Thomas Hayden, who Virginia supposedly hadn't seen in years, had sold her his share of the house for a total of $1. The deed transfer was supposedly signed by Thomas, and his signature had been notarized by one of Virginia's daughters, Connie. Then, in November of 2014, Virginia had sold the condo for a total of $135,000. Forensic handwriting experts were called in to analyze the deed transfer. Unsurprisingly, they found that the signature from Thomas wasn't authentic. What they discovered was that the forgery did match samples of Virginia's handwriting. Police continued tracking down members of Thomas and Virginia's family for interviews, looking for anything that might lead them to Thomas's current location. Interviews with Thomas's siblings revealed a similar story to what Kim had shared. They hadn't seen or heard from him in years. Both brothers wanted to cooperate with police as much as possible, so they allowed several samples of their DNA to be collected for comparison. When police talked to another one of Virginia's children, Carolyn Cooksey, they found that she had been told a slightly different story. 
Carolyn also believed that Thomas had traveled to Mexico for his motor neuron disease treatment, but as far as she knew, Virginia had made the journey along with him. It was only recently that Carolyn had begun to wonder whether the Mexico story was true. A few weeks prior, Virginia had arrived at a family Christmas party alone and there was no sign of Thomas. Over the dinner table, Virginia began talking about ways to dispose of a human body, telling the other guests that the easiest way was by feeding the body to pigs, as pigs would quickly consume an entire human corpse. She made a point of sharing that there was only one part that a pig couldn't eat, the skull. While Carolyn shared that story with police, she also told them that she remembered her mother having a food saver vacuum sealer, one that used the exact type of vacuum sealed bags that a bloody scalp had been dumped in five years earlier. Virginia's grandson, Michael Harris, told investigators that he'd also had conversations with his grandmother about disposing of a body by feeding it to pigs. But unlike Carolyn, Virginia hadn't told him that they'd eat everything but the skull. She said that a pig would eat every part of a human body except for the hair. In fact, Michael said that he and Virginia often talked about how to dispose of bodies and it didn't seem to alarm him. He told police that he thought Virginia was, quote, cool to talk to. She had lectured him about how to dispose of a body by throwing it into a lake or the ocean, explaining that you needed to repeatedly stab it to let all of the air out, otherwise it would float to the surface in a few days. She also told him that, if you needed to kill somebody and make it appear to be natural causes, you could overdose them on nitroglycerin, a type of medication used to treat chest pain. A large dose of nitroglycerin would make it appear that the person had died of a fatal heart attack. Coincidentally, Thomas Hayden was Virginia's third husband. Her first husband had committed suicide after Virginia asked him for a divorce, but her second husband had died suddenly of a heart attack. Virginia even brought up her late husband to investigators, saying that they should search for Thomas in the grave of her second husband. Investigators knew that Virginia was likely joking, but at that point, they needed to follow up on every lead they had. They went to the grave of Virginia's second husband, but they didn't find any signs of a disturbance. Hoping to provide some answers about Thomas's whereabouts, Carolyn Cooksey gave the detectives a note that she had received from Thomas at the time he supposedly left for Mexico. The handwritten note asked Carolyn to support Virginia while he was away, and be there for her if she needed anything. Just like the forged deed to Virginia and Thomas's house, forensic analysis revealed that the note wasn't authentic and the handwriting was an exact match to a sample from Virginia. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Police had another conversation with Virginia Hayden's granddaughter, Virginia Cooksey, the current inhabitant of the apartment in Carlisle where Virginia had previously lived. Virginia Cooksey told investigators that she had remembered her grandmother having a lockbox before she moved out of the apartment. When she opened the lockbox to see what was inside, she found that it contained a passport, a driver's license, and a social security card. Virginia had taken pictures on her phone, which she showed to the investigators. 
all three of the essential documents in the lockbox belonged to Thomas Hayden. In a record search, investigators confirmed that Thomas was still getting social security payments into the account he shared with Virginia, but they found that Virginia's story about Thomas being diagnosed with motor neuron disease didn't add up. In fact, several of Thomas's doctors told investigators that he had never received any similar kind of diagnosis. The only thing he'd been seeking regular medical treatment for was chronic pain. Then all of a sudden, he stopped showing up to his appointments. In fact, it wasn't Thomas who had canceled those appointments. During September of 2011, Virginia had called the doctor's office and canceled his future appointments on Thomas's behalf. The reason she gave was that Thomas was no longer living in the area. Thomas's medical records confirmed that he had no reason to travel to Mexico for advanced treatment of motor neuron disease because there was no proof that he'd ever been diagnosed with it in the first place. What's more, Virginia was holding on to Thomas's driver's license and passport. If he had tried to leave the country and enter Mexico, he wouldn't have gotten far. The Department of Homeland Security confirmed that neither Virginia nor Thomas Hayden had ever spent time in Mexico. As more and more evidence was uncovered, all the signs seemed to point towards Virginia hiding a terrible secret from everyone around her, including the investigators. Her financial records revealed that, just before Thomas disappeared, she had bought herself a 357 handgun. After a search warrant for Virginia's house was issued, police found the lockbox containing Thomas's driver's license and passport, as well as her food saver vacuum sealer. In late 2017, as the investigators continued to close in on her, Virginia agreed to an interview with Maryland's Daily Record. Throughout the interview, she denied any suggestion that she had been involved in Thomas's death in any way, or that she was hiding information about his whereabouts from the police. It was during that interview that Virginia revealed a new piece of information, telling the reporter that Thomas had actually been abusive towards her, but she refused to give any examples of times where he had been abusive and didn't specify what kind of abuse she was talking about. She stated, quote, You've never been married to a man that scares you so bad that the day he decides to leave, you pray to God he doesn't come back. You pray to God he forgets about you. Investigators decided to set up yet another interview with Virginia, hoping that they would be able to use the additional information they found to push her into revealing more of the story. During the second interview, Virginia still insisted that Thomas had gone to Mexico for his motor neuron disease, but that time she told the detectives that Thomas had traveled with one of his brothers. Both of Thomas's brothers denied that as they hadn't seen or heard from him in years, and they knew nothing about a medical diagnosis or a trip to Mexico. At that point in the investigation, detectives were aware that Virginia was lying about Thomas being diagnosed with the disease in the first place. According to Virginia, before Thomas had set off to Mexico, he had handed her several handwritten letters, asking her to deliver them to members of his family. She admitted to telling several of her neighbors that Thomas had died, but insisted there was no truth to the statement. She explained that she was just embarrassed that he had left her so suddenly and that she barely heard from him anymore. According to her, it was less humiliating to just say that he was dead. Suddenly, though, when investigators brought up the human scalp that had been found in a food saver bag five years earlier, Virginia seemed to immediately give up on her argument. She quickly offered to give the investigators a full written confession, telling them that she would write whatever they wanted her to write in order to satisfy Thomas's children. She said, quote, 
Kim and Carolyn want me to admit to doing something to Thomas Hayden. I put Thomas Hayden in there, so be happy. I give in, so leave me alone. So there it is. That's my confession. Investigators asked Virginia whether she'd ever killed anything. She told them that she kept pigs on her sister-in-law's farm, which she butchered once a year, and that she occasionally went hunting for fun. There was no mention of the unusual conversation she'd had with her family over Christmas, where she'd said that the easiest way to dispose of a human corpse was by feeding it to pigs. Initially, Virginia didn't face any charges connected to Thomas's death, but police were quickly able to charge her daughter Connie, who had notarized the signatures that Virginia had forged on the deeds to the family house. Connie was charged with tampering with public record and property theft. Several months later, the test results came back from the DNA samples that had been collected from Thomas's brothers. They were a partial match to the scalp that had been found in the food saver bag, suggesting that whoever the scalp belonged to, they had the same parents as the Hayden brothers, and there was only one sibling who was unaccounted for, Thomas. A more in-depth forensic analysis of the contents of the food saver bag revealed more details about Thomas's death and how his scalp had come to be dumped on the side of the road. After examining the bag's contents, Dr. Wayne K. Ross found that the sheer volume of blood that had soaked into the sheets and scalp suggested either Thomas's body had been dismembered, or that he had suffered from extensive blunt force trauma or gunshot wounds before he had died. Because of minuscule particles of shattered bone found on the scalp, Dr. Ross felt it was most likely that Thomas had been shot to death and then dismembered and scalped post-mortem. In his analysis, the doctor wrote, quote, the task of dismemberment supports the conclusion that Thomas Hayden died a violent death at the hands of another individual. Virginia had managed to hide Thomas's murder for six years, but finally in 2019, after more than two years of investigation into his disappearance, the game was up. Virginia Hayden faced a total of 65 criminal charges, including criminal homicide, tampering with public records, theft and knowingly receiving stolen property, and conspiracy. Hours before the jury were selected for the trial, a now 71-year-old Virginia made the decision to enter a plea. She pleaded no contest to the charges against her, a type of plea that is received as if it were a guilty plea, but allows the defendant to avoid actually saying, I'm guilty, to the crime. Virginia's defense attorneys declined to comment on the decision. Since her 2019 arrest, she had served more than 1,200 days behind bars, which she received credit for, but she was still sentenced to between 6 and 20 years in prison, as well as 7 years of probation. But the case still wasn't over. Virginia had only pleaded no contest to the murder charge and tampering with public records. She still needed to appear in federal court for committing social security fraud. She faced accusations of fraudulently collecting Thomas's social security payments after his murder, a total of around $113,000 over a six-year period. Virginia's defense attorney negotiated a new plea deal with the U.S. Attorney's Office. They agreed that Virginia would plead guilty to one count of conversion of government funds, which would result in a maximum sentence of 10 years. In exchange for her guilty plea, the government agreed to drop the additional 14 charges against her. In February of 2023, Virginia Hayden was pushed into the courtroom in a wheelchair for her hearing. Her hands were cuffed in front of her and she was dressed in blue scrubs. The judge informed her of her rights, reminding her that if she pleaded guilty, she was waiving her right to a jury trial. 
Virginia responded that she understood her rights, but then the judge asked her if she was going to plead guilty, and she burst into tears. She told the judge, quote, This is very hard for me. I guess I will take the plea. The judge responded that Virginia had to be sure about changing her plea to guilty. It wasn't good enough to say, I guess. If she wasn't sure about her plea, the case would have to be scheduled for a trial instead. After spending several minutes speaking to her defense attorney, Virginia finally turned to the judge and told him that she was willing to plead guilty and waive her right to go in front of a jury. This time, when she was asked, are you absolutely certain of that, Virginia responded, quote, yes, sir. Virginia Hayden will spend the rest of her life in prison, but the location of the rest of Thomas Hayden's remains is unknown. The only part of him that his family were able to put to rest was his scalp and what was left of his hair. The one part of the body that, according to the monster Virginia, a pig would refuse to eat. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility. Call 911 or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by simply dialing 988 in the United States. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you may be facing. If you are a member of the LGBTQ community and suffering from discrimination, depression, or are in need of any support, please contact the LGBT National Hotline at 1-888-843-4564 or go to lgbthotline.org. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our merchandise at thisismonsters.com. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe.